Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to The Schmooze. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Justin Cammie. Justin is Professor of World Literatures and Jewish Studies at Smith College. He's the author of many essays about Yiddish writers and cultures of interwar Vilna and translator from the Yiddish of Hindebergner's On Long Winter Nights, Sholem Lachem's The Judgment of Shomer, and most recently, Avram Sutzkever, From the Vilna Ghetto to Nuremberg, published by McGill Queens University Press. A longtime friend of the Yiddish Book Center, he served as interim director of the center's Steiner Summer Yiddish Program for college students back in 2004, and has been a regular member of our summer faculty ever since. Welcome, Justin. It's good to be with you, Lisa. Thanks for inviting me. Great to have you here, and great to have you here, occasioned by the publication of this latest translation, which I've been really eager to speak with you about. Um, a great, great program, by the way, the other night on the Great <laughs> Jewish Books Lecture Series. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Um, so before we get started talking about the book, I'd love to have a chance to ask you, what drew you to Sutzkever originally? I mean, I think it's safe to say you're a scholar of his work and have been for some time. So you teach it and and more. So I um, inadvertently not uh, came across him in a class that was offered when I was an undergraduate way back at McGill University, long before I knew I was going to become a scholar of Jewish literature and uh, and work on him. And uh, he was taught in a class. I found it fascinating, generative, exciting, entirely new. It opened up a, a world that I knew nothing about. And then I registered uh, for a seminar. Uh, and that seminar included a significant focus on his writing, especially his poetry. So from the undergraduate level, I then continued my work in graduate study, uh, working not only on Sutzkever, but the entire world uh, in which he started out as a young poet in Vilna in the 1930s, and have even had the chance to now teach my own Sutzkever seminar last year. It was a seminar offered um, during the COVID pandemic when all of our students uh, here at Smith were taking courses online. And I thought, wouldn't it be great to, this semester to offer a course on poetry and to be able to read poetry together with um, students? And this was the poet I picked and the students found it um, fascinating. So it's been a long uh, experience, a longstanding relationship that I've had with Sutzkever's writing and uh, now is now teaching. And I think there's a lot to unpack about both the writer and his work. So also curious how you found your way to this memoir and maybe the backstory to the memoir. Sure. I mean, I think that this is the most, this is one of the most fascinating aspects about the memoir other than the memoir itself, namely that this was a text that Sutzkever was invited to contribute to the famous Black Book Project. This was a project of the Jewish Anti-Fascist Committee in the Soviet Union. Uh, he was invited by none other than Ilya Ehrenberg and Vasily Grossman, themselves giants of Soviet uh, literature and also Jewish writers, after he was rescued from the partisan forests along with his wife. So he ended up, they ended up in Moscow. Uh, Sutzkever tells one uh, story about his rescue. Um, others uh, tell a different story. Uh, what matters is he, after spending the entirety of the Vilna ghetto in the Vilna ghetto, and then the fall and winter and early spring in the forests, in March 1944, he and his wife make it to Moscow. And one of the first things he's invited to do is to write uh, really his reportage, his memoir of the Vilna ghetto. And he does so almost breathlessly. And that's interrupted uh, when uh, the Red Army liberates Vilna in July 1944. Within a week, 
uh, to 10 days, he finds himself back now in Soviet uh, Vilnius. And uh, in between sort of searching for what remains, seeking out all of the treasures that he participated in hiding, he's also being asked to now add a chapter on liberation. So he's going around now interviewing people, uh, survivors and people who were there and including their voices in uh, this document. He finishes the document, submits it, and then the broader Black Book Project remains stagnant uh, until the whole project is canceled uh, by the authorities. And at that point, Ehrenberg writes to him and says, you know, you've done your work. If you want to publish this on your own, or if you think you can publish this on your own, go ahead. And he ends up submitting two, um, submitting it to two publishers. One is the Emmis publisher, the state uh, publisher in Moscow. And the other is a, a small independent publisher in Paris. And both of those volumes come out in early 1946. So there's about a, about a year and a half gap between his writing of the memoir and when it actually comes out. Those are the two extant texts that we have, published texts, and they're slightly different. So what I do in this memoir is actually not only translate one text, but translate both. And how I do that is by creating one master text while showing the readers where they might differ. And some of the reasons they might differ had to do with Sutzkover's own editorial uh, comments, with his own self-censorship, and also with the censorship of the Soviet authorities. And then when I finished translating this, I thought that there was more to the story than just publishing the memoir itself on its own. Uh, and I wanted to provide the broader political and social context for the memoir. So I also included Sutzkover's 1946 testimony at Nuremberg. I also included his diary notes uh, of his testimony at Nuremberg, and then also sought to translate three essays about Yiddish writers, two about Yiddish writers, one about Ehrenberg, uh, in order to provide the context surrounding his writing of this document so that people would understand the pressures, the constraints, the concerns that illuminate it. The broader, even if one um, sort of extends uh, these, these series of concentric circles, what makes this document even more fascinating is that Sutzkever never really talked about it after its publication. Once he left the Soviet Union, first to Poland, then uh, to Paris, and ultimately to Tel Aviv in 1947, uh, he essentially asserted that everything he had to say about uh, the war would be con was contained in his wartime poetry, in his post-war poetry, and eventually in the fictions that he wrote um, that were related to the war. That is, he never actually remembered or sought to have people remember the actual memoir. Uh, and now we have it for the first time in English exactly 75 years after it was first published and also exactly 75 years after his testimony at Nuremberg. So in a way it marks an anniversary. I'm sort of excited that it comes out on that anniversary. And I'm also interested in hearing how people, how people, especially readers of Sutzkever, think this text relates to what we know more about Sutzkover, namely his poetry, his, pro his uh, fiction, and also his essays on Yiddish literature and culture. This is very different from a very different context, really, that, that, that small window of two years that he spends in Moscow. We might call it Sutzkover's Moscow years. It, it segues well into the question I've been eager to ask you. I mean, this is work that is so much different than what most of us um, know of his work as a poet and short prose writer. And 
really interested in what your thoughts are about, well, we know kind of why he wrote it. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that it's 75 years after. How do you think that the span of time allows one to read the work differently if you agree that you might read it differently now? Well, I think I, I translated it because I think it's a fascinating document. And I also think when you have a major writer of a literature, uh, you want to, as much as possible, translate as much as you can so that you can know as much about that writer. So it would never have occurred to us, for instance, not to translate Kafka's letters or Kafka's diary notes because they're of a different genre or perhaps a different register than his uh, novelistic or fictional writings. So here we have an actual published book, a published book that essentially was ignored by the author himself, I think for political reasons, because of the degree to which he had to watch what he was saying or modify what he was able to say at that moment for reasons of public memory, collective memory, the creation of a usable past. But I think it's a fascinating document. First of all, uh, it's written in an entirely different mode than he's normally used to. He's writing in the genre of Soviet reportage. So you see how quickly he has to adapt to writing in that style. Uh, Second, I think it's an amazingly interesting document because of where it comes in the broader conversation about Holocaust literature, the writing of Holocaust history, and what we might think of as Holocaust memoir. So it's not a diary in the sense that it wasn't written while the events were unfolding, but it has the breathlessness of a document that's being written even before the Holocaust is over. He's, that is, he's, he's writing, he's finishing the writing of it in the summer of 1944. And the war isn't going to end until 1945, almost a year later. So he doesn't have, in a way, the possibility of the perspective that other memoirs might have. So it's in between that sort of world of being the diary that's written at the time and the memoir that's written with some degree of separation. And that is fascinating to me as a literary scholar because it asks, it's sort of situated right at that moment where things are moving from Holocaust testimony, Holocaust um, diary, uh, into what we might think of as Holocaust literature. How are we going to make sense of all this, not only for ourselves, but for future readers? And I think that was one of the tensions that he was facing. The Soviets wanted this document to be an act of indictment against the Germans. They wanted to use it as a testimonial uh, guide uh, to to really um, putting the Germans uh, on trial and their collaborators to a certain extent. But Sutzkever was writing within that mode and couldn't necessarily do everything that he wanted to do. So, for instance, the authorities did not want in 1945-46 a document that would spend too much attention talking about the collaboration of the Poles or the Lithuanians because they were trying to build a post, looking towards a post-war world in which they would be ruling those very people. So a lot more of the document focuses on those who helped the Jews, and there were many who helped the Jews, than perhaps documenting those who betrayed the Jews. Uh, I think that it's a very interesting way of thinking about how Sutzkever separated the mythopoetic universe that he creates in his poetry that is informed by experience, but not necessarily beholden to it, and what he writes in this uh, memoir. So for instance, there are many scenes that he describes events uh, in which he describes events happening during the period of the ghetto that then 
are recognizable to readers of Sutzkever in terms of the, his most famous poems. But they will soon discover that what is written in the memoir is not necessarily help them better interpret the poetry. In fact, the poetry seems to have much more experience contained within it than the details of the memoir, whether it be the few lines, the paragraph or two in which he describes being informed of the death of his mother and the murder of his newborn child. Those are in the memoir. But when one reads the poems to his mother, when one reads the famous poem to my kind, to my child, those seem to be such larger uh, poetic and literary uh, statements than what is contained in the memoir. In a way, he was functioning uh, with such restraint in the memoir in order to write in the way that those who um, had solicited this document, you know, the facts, only the facts, um, had perhaps suggested. His famous poem, for instance, on uh, the Rome press, the lead plates of the Rome press, becomes this wonderful expression of the uniting of the spiritual and the physical resistance in the ghetto, where it's described in the memoirs two or three lines in which we know what actually happened. There was no melting of bullets, lead plates from the Rome press into bullets. The Rome plates were um, confiscated by the Nazis and sold at a very cheap price. Uh, so that we see that in the memoir. He rarely quotes from his own poetry in the memoir, only once from a single poem. He doesn't talk about the, um, in it, to any great extent, the literary prize he wins. So in a way, the memoir is focused outward at the community rather than inward at himself. He's trying to bring in different voices, different experiences in episodic form. We see a lot about the experiences of women, a lot about the experiences of teachers, a lot about the experiences of culture, uh, a description of the resistance, the physical resistance. All of these things are there, um, but they don't necessarily inform his poetry. And I find that fascinating. Mm -hmm. In a way, they exist in two different worlds two separate worlds. It's almost as though he separated what he was doing in poetry uh, and the gods he served in poetry from the temporal, let's say, gods that he was serving in writing this memoir, namely his Soviet sponsors. Yeah, there, there is so much, as I said, to, to unpack in this. And I think what you just described is just so... Um, well, it is fascinating. There's no other word I know to attach to it either, um, in that it's so revealing of two aspects of a person, um, in a sense. Um, Indeed, yeah. Yeah, it must have been an incredible thing for you to take the deep dive into this. And I wondered if there was a particular passage or some one one part of this that really resonated and kept you going forward with this. Well, it was a... It was a difficult memoir to challenge on a personal level, given what he is describing. He doesn't um, really hold back. And I think that uh, certainly those of us who work in Yiddish literature or who have studied Holocaust literature and, and teach these subjects think that we, that we know the history and have sort of read uh, everything. Uh, but you read this text and it comes at these things so much more viscerally the experience of sort of the first day, the chaos of the first day of the Nazis coming into town, uh, the not knowing what was, even before the, the ghetto was established, the not knowing what was happening when people were disappearing. He has this horrifying scene where um, someone runs up to him and says that uh, they think that a bunch of Jews had been beheaded up in a field. 
And he says, you know, I, I couldn't possibly believe that. And he starts digging in the field and, until he hits these headless bodies and describes this. I think that the last section of the book where he visits after the city's liberation, Panar, that is the killing fields where most of Vilna's Jews were, were murdered, uh, is an incredibly detailed discussion of the process of not only killing people, but especially excavating their bodies and then burning them in order to hide the evidence. And he has these amazing descriptions of the actual process of burning human bodies. Uh, these things were shocking. So I never, I tried to pace myself. I tried not to do too much. I tried to only translate um, in the er very early morning before my kids were awake. And uh, knowing that I think that this is a, a, a text that is long overdue to be read. I think that it's an important statement uh, in Sutzkover's career. I think it shows what happens when writers are under particular pressure uh, and are commissioned to do certain things. He certainly didn't win any friends um, after uh, his career for doing this because uh, his, his partnership in the Jewish Anti-Fascist Committee, which he really had no choice but to participate in, um, eventually led him to getting uh, a citation uh, from the Soviet authorities. That citation eventually prevented him from being able to come to the United States and to have his visa denied. So he uh, paid a price to a certain extent, uh, even though it wasn't his choice uh, in having been rescued, right? And having come to the Soviet Union. And I think that thinking about Sutskever's life during those two years, what do you do when you've been a lifelong anti-communist and now find yourself among the very environment that you so uh, tried to resist? How do you uh, meet the demands of history and write something that meets those demands while at the same time meeting your own standards as a writer? So we might want to read this document in concert with other texts, right? Certainly something like Herman Crook's um, diary or Yitzchok Rudachevsky's teenage diary of the Vilna ghetto are very different experiences than perhaps reading Sutskover's memoir or Kaczarginski's uh, forthcoming memoir or, or other texts uh, that exist like Mark Dvorzhetsky and even later uh, Laser Ron's work. So there, it, I, I'd like to put it in conversation with texts that were written at the time or in its immediate aftermath in a way to try to see how people experiencing the same experience write about it differently under different circumstances. Yeah, that's a very interesting way to approach it. I mean, it doesn't it feels as though Sitzkover faces everything sort of, you know, full on. Um, mm -hmm. He does not shrink away from any experience or any observation. Is that safe to say about his work? No, I would say that ah. he does shrink away, at least in this in this text, from things that he knows would catch the eye of the censor or from things for which there wasn't enough distance yet um, to really talk about. So for instance, he doesn't spend a lot of time evaluating either the actions of the Judenrat and especially of the Jewish police, right? I think that he and Abba Kovner, who were comrades in the partisan organization, understood that the, the main target, the main enemy was the Nazis. And while the war was still going on, to start um, investigating oneself would have been uh, an entirely gross act. 
effect and also would have in, uh, impeded on the uh, importance of rebuilding Jewish life after the war. So he doesn't spend a lot of time evaluating what Jews did in extremis. Uh, he talks about the Wittenberg affair, for instance. Wittenberg was the commander of the uh, United Partisans organization in the ghetto. And at a certain point, the uh, Nazi authorities demand that he be turned over. Uh, and if he's not turned over, they threaten to uh, liquidate the ghetto. And there was a huge fight among the partisans about whether to turn uh, him over or not turn him over. Eventually, he was turned over uh, and he was killed. There's a controversy over whether he was tortured to death or whether he took his own life um, in jail before he could be killed. But nonetheless, uh, he was turned over uh, because there was a sense among the partisans that if, if he wasn't, uh, either the lives of an entire community could be put at risk or uh, the community could turn against them. He doesn't really talk about that choice. He says in a very sort of slight line people who weren't in the ghetto shouldn't really question uh, what was done in the ghetto. And I think that is sort of part of what he's trying to navigate. He's still so close to the events, so close to this major trauma, not only communal trauma, but also personal uh, traumas, that he's not going to uh, investigate his brothers and sisters, let's say, to any significant degree. So there are certain things he, he writes about and certain things I think he holds back on. So yes, it's true that he, he has very, very vivid, horrifying descriptions, uh, but, I, but not on everything. He certainly doesn't um, let a lot of information in about his own experiences at times when I think some writer, some readers might come to Sutzkever's memoir and say, oh, now I'll understand why he wrote this or what was the background for this. Uh, that is um, far less present there. He really turned, the more you read in the memoir, the more the focus is on others. And not on him. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's an astounding piece um, and so amazing that you have taken on the translation of it um, for those of us who would never have been able to read this. Um, and I think, again, it certainly has to inform both history and, and the writer's work. Right. Um, and I think and I, just to, to that point, yeah. that, I also thought that it was an interesting text because of those two things. Uh, where I teach, I teach both a course on Holocaust literature and co-teach a course on Holocaust history. And I think it's a text now translated that could be used in both. That is, it could, it, it could talk about the beginnings of Holocaust history and memory and the differences between those two things. And it could also offer some type of intervention or new way of thinking about the writing of Holocaust literature and how there are different kinds of Holocaust literature perhaps the memoir or the reportage being one of them. Uh, um, I've always wished that I could um, have you out, out here to have an evening to talk about all of that over, <laughs> over a long dinner, which, which if you'll allow me, and I, and I hope this, this question makes sense, um, Justin. You know, Sutzkever, in my mind, and again, I am no scholar and I haven't had the benefit of taking your classes, which I always want to, um, but he bridges pre-Holocaust and post in his work as a writer and an editor and someone who I think his style certainly represents modernist writing. And I'm, I'm wondering what your thoughts are about these different periods for him as a writer mm -hmm. and how he 
how he did or didn't thematically carry things through. How do you define him as, you know, a lot of people say he's a Holocaust writer, but he's more than that, I think. Oh, much more. I mean, he starts out his career in the 1930s, the early 30s, well before uh, the war. So he has already two books out before the before the war comes to him. And in those, you know, he's been called a modernist. He's been called um, the, the greatest um, musical writer uh, of Yiddish poetry. He's been called a neoclassicist. Uh, he studied old Yiddish literature, uh, Evo, under the direction of none other than Max Feinreich, the great head of Evo at the time, in order to deepen his knowledge of um, Yiddish language and all of its literary associations. So he put in a lot of work, even before uh, the burden and the responsibility of having to write about what we now know as the Holocaust uh, presented itself. So he has that sort of, we might think of that as his Polish uh, modernist or his young career. Then, of course, he has those years um, between 1941 and 1944 uh, that are his ghetto and partisan uh, years, partisan forest years, where he writes um, entirely differently. Not entire. I mean, he, he's informed by what he wrote before, but clearly the responsibility to write confessional poetry uh national poetry, epic poetry, all of that becomes uh, far more important to him. He starts out his career really sort of politically uninvolved. And uh, by the time he gets into the ghetto, I wouldn't say that he's politicized, other than to say that his, the responsibility to serve one's community, and not only art, I would say serve one's community through art, uh, becomes paramount in his imagination. And then, of course, Although Sutzkover is thought of as a Holocaust poet, the vast majority of his career is as a Yiddish poet in Israel. Mm -hmm. From 1947 up until his death in 2010, most of his works are written and published in the state of Israel. And he lived in Tel Aviv uh, the entirety of that time. Uh, and in that period, he not only looks back and carries through themes that we see at the very beginning of his poetry, but he also starts to craft a new land, engage with this new landscape as part of the process of rebuilding not only Yiddish literature, but Jewish life. So what I find so fascinating uh, are not only his travels to Africa, where he writes about um, Africa, but also the way he navigates now being a Yiddish writer in a Zionist context and sort of takes on the land of Israel as one of his subjects, as, as part of that mythopoetic landscape and tries to tease that out, writes epic works during this period, not only about the ghetto, but also about the establishment of the state of Israel in Yiddish, still to be uh, translated both. And uh, to me, that's what's most fascinating, the sort of the constant process of reinvention when he finds himself in these new political social situations. But I would say that you're right in the sense that thematically, his concern for wonder, his ability to communicate in his poetry awe, his fascination with rhyme and the different possibilities of Yiddish, uh, his, the way he uses color. If one talks about his earliest sort of poem, Siberia, the dominant color there is white. That's in his sort of represents his childhood and birth as a poet. 
If one then looks at green, this becomes the color of the late 1930s and the book he publishes in 1940, sort of this wandering through the forest and this sort of majesty of what it feels like to be alive in a created universe as part of a creative agent himself. And then we'll, you know, keep working with these colors, these greens and these whites and reinterpret them. He'll keep using the motif of the bird that comes very early on uh, in his poems about his childhood and that bird will then reappear or the snowman. These things are it, what's, what's wonderful about reading Sutzkever over time uh, and spending time, let's say over a semester, trying to read as much as you can as, we, as I did with my students is that you actually see how he goes, returns, circles back to lines and ideas and visions that he had and then reinvents them later on. That is, he never repeats, he simply reinvents. And that's a, that, that, I think, is an amazing ability for a poet to do. Yeah, and, and also for a reader to be able to be, it probably isn't the right word, but privy to. I mean, he takes us on a very personal journey um, through his work. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and I think that I, I want. I was hoping that this book would could could fit into that conversation because okay. so much of what's translated, we have a, a fair deal for for a Yiddish writer. We have um, you know three major collections of uh, Sutzkever poetry that are translated. We now have the Yiddish Book Center's own translation of his um, fictional stories. We have two films that have recently been released, one in Israel, and one by the Yiddish Book Center. That is, we have, for a Yiddish writer, a significant amount that's available in translation. The one big thing that was missing was this Holocaust memo. I mean, there are many things that are still missing, but the one sort of major work that I wanted to contribute in my, in my own small way would be this document that has the Soviet context so clearly imprinted upon it. And that would perhaps provide a different Sutzkever, a different face to that. And, uh, Thankfully, it was supported not only by his family, uh, but by others who sort of guided me along the way and encouraged me to look in different directions in order to expand the volume as much as possible. It's it's hugely important, and I urge everybody to get a copy and read it. Um, it's it really it does um, broaden understanding, and it 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 needs to be part of part of all of his his work that is read. So for our listeners. The title of the book is Avram Sutzkever, From the Vilna Ghetto to Nuremberg. It's available through the Yiddish Book Center's online and on-site bookstore, shop.yiddishbookcenter.org, and at bookstores everywhere. Again, Avram Sutzkever's From the Vilna Ghetto to Nuremberg, translated by Justin Cammy. Justin, thank you so much for this latest work and for all of your work. Uh, really wonderful, and we look forward to what's next. Thank you so much, Lisa. It's great to talk to you and always great to talk to people who support such a wonderful institution as the Yiddish Book Center. And I look forward to seeing you in person soon enough. Great. And keep enlightening us. Thank All you. Right. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You have been listening to The Schmooze a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To learn more about this podcast and to subscribe, visit YiddishBookCenter.org. I'm Elizabeth Carteropoli. Until next time, be well and be healthy.